I'm Chad. And I'm Cheese. And we are the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Our podcast covers news, startups, AI, automation, programmatic, and all the things the kids are excited about. (laughs) And then we drown it with a healthy dose of snark, attitude, and four-letter words. Subscribe to the Chad and Cheese Podcast today wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Sea of Sameness. Employer blanding right these are all terms we are if not intimately familiar with the second i said them you went oh yeah i know what he means right you know it doesn't matter with you know if true mahatra said it or somebody else said it or you know heather plinkfa said it you know in their podcast it doesn't matter it's 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 something that we all on some level are aware of if not directly grapple with right this idea that employer branding is to some extent boring yeah i said it Boring. Now, don't worry. I'm going to come out on your side and tell you and explain why I think employer brand is absolutely not boring. But to be fair, <laughs> there is a reason why employer branding got this reputation. So today, we're going to unpack that a little bit, talk about where that might come from, why we can change it. But ultimately, I want to get into how to not be boring. Because ultimately, if you are going to be successful, playing it safe is the best way to go exactly nowhere. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Talent Cast, the world's most caffeinated employer brand podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis, and I've been doing employer brand for years now, and I absolutely love the industry. I love how it's growing. I love how it's changing. And I've tried to do my part to elevate the concept, to get everybody to understand the power employer brand can have in hiring, attracting, and retaining talent. So we try to really focus on driving home the idea that this is a calling and a craft. It's a lot of getting your hands dirty, but it's also a lot of big strategic thinking. And that's where we kind of live, that kind of uh, Venn diagram, the intersection between those the big ideas and the getting the details right. So we talk a lot about employer brand and how to do it right and how to think about it and how to look at your problems in a whole new way. Ready to rock? One, two, three, let's go. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis recording live from Chicago. Um, yeah, so I, the the funny story, or not, I don't know. I, I'm not a professional comedian. You can tell. Uh, my physical copies of the Employer Brand Handbook Volume 1, Working with Recruiters, just landed on my doorstep this afternoon. I am pumped, right? For 11 bucks, it is everything you need to know. And I mean everything. I mean, there's literally emails. You can just say, okay, I'm going to use that email or here's some checklists and here's exactly the step-by-step stuff to do on how to get your recruiters to help you, right? There's, you know, for me, it seems obvious that employer brand and recruiting should work hand in hand. They help each other. They work with each other. They, you know, even if they're not necessarily on the same team, they should absolutely be connected. But unfortunately, I know two many people and you know plenty of people ask me how do I get my recruiters to work with me instead of against me or worse yet how do I get my recruiters to work with me other than being completely ambivalent which is valid so that's the whole book it's a whole handbook on how to do it um, there's another handbook coming out in September if I actually get my act together and do it and that's all on metrics but anyway both of those books are on Amazon either ebook for five bucks right now I'm trying to keep them cheap uh, or physical copy for 11 bucks but the big news of course as I've talked about the big book is coming out in like three weeks I am in the midst of final tweaking edits and I hate to copy edit uh, thank God I have someone who copy edits me but I I feel sorry for her. Please send her hopes and prayers, right? You know, to have to corral me and my writing, yeah, 
uh, yeah, I'm sorry. But anyway, The Talent Chooses You comes out June 15th. Um, I still have to redraw some, tweak some of the diagrams, but otherwise it will be ready to go. Physical copies and e-copies, June 15th. More information coming, but obviously just go to Amazon. It's all there. Anyway, so let's get into this. So safety is dangerous. You're, all right, you know, and I, I've, it's true, right? This idea that so many employer brands are really just the same old, same old. It's the same stuff. It's a rehash. It's a reused version of a copy of a Xerox of a, of a you know, a remembering of what a brand might have been. It is so fuzzy. It's so vague. It is so safe because that's all we think we're allowed to be, right? That, that That's unfortunate. And let's get into where some of that stuff comes from. Now, my first culprit in this idea that uh, employer brand is always playing it safe is into HR's world. Now, it's not the only culprit. And in fact, in a lot of cases, that's a completely unfair accusation. And I own that and I'm there and I completely appreciate that. But we're going to start there because HR, as we all know, as we talked about before, HR loves rules. They love to make sure everybody does everything exactly the same. That's the safest way to keep from getting sued because that's their job. Do you think HR works for the HR or the, the H in HR? No, they work for leadership. Their job is to manage the resources that are human. And the best way to do that, the most expensive way to do that is to get sued. So their job is to keep costs down by avoiding getting sued. There you go. Now, if you're in HR and you just, you just got mad, valid. I, I put that in pretty ugly context. Uh, but to be fair, HR, that's, you're there to not be sued. That is everything you do, whether it's writing job descriptions, or I'm sorry, yeah, job descriptions, uh, whether it is uh, mediating conflict, whether it is, you know, if you're involved in training development, it's there to, to keep from getting sued, right? It's the same for everyone. And the problem with HR, and we've talked about this in the past, is that HR loves everything the same. It's the safest way. It's the best way. It's the most effective way to do HR. If you have to actually treat human beings as individuals, who have their own sets of needs, desires, moralities, uh, uh, motivations, ambitions, that's a nightmare. Trust me, ask a recruiter, they'll tell you, yep, that's a nightmare, that's horrible. That's, that's, that, having to manage all those egos and all those drives and all those needs and all those wants is impossible. So HR just goes, ha, we're gonna treat them all the same. Enjoy your cookie cutter. And, and I think when you do that, you start to think in, in a philosophy that is everyone should be the same. Now, not an everyone should be have equal opportunity, not an everyone should be treated equally because I think that's different. What I'm talking about is everyone is the same, right? There is no man, woman. There is no black, white. There are simply people. And it's that kind of amorphous, uh, uh, um, like, a, like the Facebook ghost icon when you don't have a picture yet it's that that's that's how hr sees people is that a shape of a person of an androgynous person at that uh, it's just easier to treat them that way it's just easier to kind of manage all the the messiness if you just say they're all this thing now of course that's ludicrous and of course that's crazy and of course i'm pushing a point way beyond any sets of reasonable expectations you and me might have but you get my point it is simply that it's easier to you know to kind of make all the square pegs round to put them in the round holes it just makes your job easier right simple as that it just makes perfect sense of course now when you make everything the same what you're killing is this magical word called differentiation 
of course, as you know, employer brand is predicated or should be on differentiation. In fact, all of marketing is predicated on differentiation. You choose the Cool Ranch Doritos over the non-Cool Ranch Doritos for the following reasons. They are different. They are, they taste better or are tangier or zingier or whatever the heck Cool Ranch Doritos are all about. I don't know. It's off the top of my head. I'm trying to pick random consumer products and I went with Cool Ranch Doritos because they are in a lot of ways ludicrous. But anyway, <laughs> yes, sometimes I crack myself up. I don't know why. It just kind of struck me as funny. But you need to be different. All of marketing is predicated on being different. And it's Unlike, you know, and, and, and we talk about employer brand being slightly different from marketing. It is slightly different, but not in this way. Good employer branding is this is how we're different. When you choose company A over company B, it's because company A was different. Technically, if you're choosing between two companies, company A is different. That means company B was different too, but in the other direction, in the wrong way. But that means company B will be more attractive, be more different in the right way to someone else. That's just the natural state of things. That's how people choose. We all want different things. We are all driven by different motivations. We all want different things from our employers. There are different ways we perceive that information from our employers. Therefore, that's how we make choices. It's not a right choice. It's not a wrong choice. It's simply how we make choices. So HR is out. HR is a problem with that. And so because they treat everybody the same, it kind of kills any sense of differentiation. And, and when you're, and HR has to be involved. Now, don't get me wrong when I think, ah, oh, the best thing to do is to cut HR out. That's wrong. HR is absolutely part of whatever EVP employer brand process you need to kind of manage because ultimately, while HR's job is to keep from getting sued, it is to keep from getting sued by people and people are part of that process and they oversee the people. And that's who you're talking about with and for. So therefore, you have to be connected to HR. The trick is you have to be cognizant of HR's philosophy on everyone being the same and I have a pet theory that everybody has a philosophy but not everybody is aware of their own philosophy so they don't realize they're coming at problems or coming at things in a certain way okay anyway you have to be aware that that's HR's proclivity that that is how they see the world that that is how their operating philosophy is everybody should be the same and let's keep everything the same as much as humanly possible simple as that Simple as that. So you have to fight that and be aware of it. So two, one of the other reasons employer brands is all so much a sea of the sameness. Uh, a lot of employer brands are not trained marketers. Now, I am not a trained marketer, so I'm not going to speak too negatively about this because I think there are, in fact, some of the best employer brand people I know do not have professional marketing backgrounds. They are recruiters, but they overcame a lot to go from recruiting to marketing. I think a lot of people who come from the recruiting side haven't done the full journey to marketing. They haven't read the books. They haven't thought things through. Whatever it is, right? They're still in their hearts, still recruiters, and they haven't you know, it, it, you can't have one foot on either side of recruiting and marketing. You kind of have to say, okay, I'm going into employer brand. I'm going to stop being a recruiter. You've seen that employer brand mindset is so very radically different than that of a recruiter to you can't be both at the same time. It's like being sales and marketing at the same time. Your head will simply explode. So you really can't be great at both. You end up having to choose one. So if you're still stuck in recruiting, you're stuck in this idea of how do I attract the most people? How do I build a pitch that anybody will like? Because in the end, recruiters are still driven by a micro level problem. How do I put that butt in that seat? Oh, what do I have to tell them to make that happen? 
As an employer brander, you get to see the macro level. What is the thing that's going to help us differentiate relative to competition? What's going to position ourselves better as unique as, as, as specifically us? What are the things that we reward? How do I leverage that to tell a story, et cetera, et cetera? Stuff we've talked about. Third thing, and I think this is the most complicated, but also the most true. Yes, the other two were not, which were true, but maybe not as true, right? Here is what I think, as if the entire podcast could not be titled, here's what I think. Here's what I think. When it comes to making an employer brand work, you have to tie it to a basic, internal, intrinsic human motivation. Again, the reason why you work at Goldman Sachs instead of the post office or Red Cross or Facebook is because Goldman Sachs is going to make you rich beyond your wildest dreams and give you prestige. You're going to, everybody's going to be impressed that you work for Goldman Sachs. Everybody's going to be impressed that you work at Facebook, but on a diff, for a different reason, right? It's a little more innovative. It's, it's pushing boundaries. It's something everybody knows of. Maybe your mom or your grandparent might not know of Goldman Sachs, but they absolutely know of Facebook at this point. Everybody knows Facebook. Um, and I apologize if I use my, your mom. It's not meant to be gender specific. It's simply, I joke because my mom is kind of goofy that way. Anyway, and also because one of my very favorite questions in an interview conversation or in a survey question is what does your mom think you do? And everybody kind of, and some people kind of get all, you know, annoyed. It's like, why my mom? It's like, well, why not? It's got to be somebody. And if I just says, what is some vague family member I think of your job? That's a boring question. So you pick one and you stick with it just because it's there. I apologize if that ends up in any way being gender specific. It's not really meant to be. That's not really the thrust of it. Anyway, let's not get into that today. Maybe another day. We'll see. Um, you know, I completely lost my train of thought. Ah, that's the idea. So the idea is, and this happens a lot, that we are focused on our major, on our human emotions, on our human motivations. The reason you want to become a teacher and not work at uh, a bank, the reason why you want to work at the post office and not at Apple or vice versa, right? There's lots of reasons why people choose the place they work. The trick is if all of employer brands are kind of built on that foundation of human motivations, there just aren't that many human motivations, right? Uh, you know, you look at psychology, there's eight or nine driving motivators, right? There's the need for to be seen. There's the need to be accepted. There's the need to be an individual. Uh, you know, those things are the things that make us happy, right? I myself have some very particular weird specialness issues where I feel like I need to be special on some certain level. Plus or minuses It's not a good or bad thing. It's simply where my, my head chemistry kind of, the endorphins kind of fire off when I feel like, ah, oh, I'm doing something different. I'm doing something special. I'm, I'm trying something new or I'm doing something other people don't do. That's interesting to me. For whatever reason, I'm motivated by that. And we can go into the psychology of where that comes from and we can get psychoanalyzed. But again, not that podcast. That is a separate podcast and hopefully one I will never do. But some people are motivated by prestige. Some people are motivated by the feeling of stability. Some people are motivated by the sense of simply feeling like their work mattered, that they are seen by their bosses and by management and, you know, literally seen and understood, right? Simple, simple basic stuff. What motivates you to show up, to engage? What triggers your brain chemistry to say, oh yeah, that's the stuff. I want some of that. That's what motivates us. 
And like I said, in psychology, there's like eight or nine. uh, And you can tie those to employer brand. You can say, ah, if you're motivated by specialness, we're going to help you work in a company that is special, is unique. We're going to let you be special or unique. You can say a person who's driven by prestige or status. Well, there's that's an easy one, right? We can say, look, we're going to make a lot of money. You're going to be sort of famous. You're going to be, you know, world class, blah, blah, blah. People are going to be impressed when you mention you work for our company. People who need a sense of stability or a sense of community. Okay, great. We're going to work as a team, not so much as an individual. We're gonna, these are the things we're driven by. Now, I know my day job over at Universum, we've broken it down into 40 different motivators and they're super, super granular. And 40 seems like a lot until you go, somehow we're going to use these to describe all companies everywhere. And you realize that is not a very big yardstick, right? You're talking about 18 to 20 million companies in the US. You're probably talking about 40, 50 million worldwide, right? How do you... <laughs> that means... A million companies, more than a million companies will use one of those motivators to be different. And of course, that's impossible. And thus, because humans are human, we're all kind of in a weird way, the same, except we're not, but in a broad sense, we are. Nobody's motivated by the color red. Nobody's motivated by the Times New Roman font. Nobody's motivated by a stock photo. Nobody's motivated on a deep, intrinsic human, got to get this done kind of way on the the bull stuff, junk stuff, the stuff we throw out there, the design stuff we care about, the messages we think are important, that's not motivating, right? The foosball table, the beer pong, the beer at, you know, on Fridays, the coffee maker. And I know, yes, I love coffee, but I'm not going to say that I'm motivated by coffee. I, I love it, but it's not something that motivates me. I will not work for certain companies that I loathe simply because it turns out they have great coffees and great coffee makers. And maybe even a barista, maybe James Hoffman will be there making the espresso for me every single morning. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Not taking that job because it's not something that actually motivates me, right? If I think what you you know what your company is all about is just loathsome i'm sorry the amount you know coffee isn't going to do it it's not the motivator so understanding you know how do you say how can 40 different things motivate people doesn't that make us all the same or doesn't it make all companies the same or really more to the point doesn't that make all employer brands the same and thus we have the sea of sameness thus we have that kind of blanding so If those things are driving why our employer brands are so similar and so boring and so samey-samey, and actually I'm going to throw one more in there, and I think I've talked about this before. I probably should. I probably have. I can't remember what I talk about in any given day. You know me. Um, You know, so I work with a lot of pharmaceutical brands. I feel like I've said this, but I apologize if I'm repeating myself, but also I don't care. It's, It's good. It's good information. It's useful. You know, pharmaceutical brands, so many of them are predicated on motivations of innovation and purpose, right? We, you know, come save lives. We're going to change the world. We're going to make the world a better place. Great. And they make that their primary tenants of their employer brand, which makes perfect sense because that is truly what these companies value. It's truly what these companies offer people. The trick is, unless you kind of look around and realize every pharmaceutical company does that, if the job of an employer brand isn't simply to describe the company and what it's like to work there, but to highlight what is different, and I'm speaking slowly because this is the part that's important, I think most people skip that part, if you don't focus on what's important, you're just yet another, right? Did anybody, you know, uh, yeah, whatever, I'm going to skip that part. Mental note, trim this out. I'm not going to trim this out. I'm going to forget. Anyway, 
yeah, I just lose my train of thought. You have to differentiate yourself. It's like, you know, let's use a car metaphor because that's what I do. It's like saying, buy our car. It has four wheels and a steering wheel. And when you press the pedal, the engine revs and it goes forward, unless you're in reverse, in which case it goes backwards. Amazing. Buy this car, to which you should be saying, yeah, but why this car? Because every single car does that. Most employer brands are the functional equivalent of we have four wheels and the car goes when you press the pedal. Yay, us. And that is unfortunate because that is how you can describe every single car. I mean, and I mean every single car. That's literally how you define cars. You don't, There's no such thing as a three-wheeler car. That's not a car. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I think in London, in Europe, they in England, they have a, uh, um, they have a kind of three wheeler car, but it's let's be fair, it's a tricycle with ambitions. Anyway, you can't leverage that. It might be true, right, that you have a car that that car has four wheels and an engine, and when you press the pedal, it goes. But that is not what we're talking about. We're not defining that which is true. And yes, we're trying to be authentic, but that's not the same. What we're trying to do is offer people a choice, right? I think that's the thing we forget about. Ultimately, what we're trying to do is help our candidates, our prospects, our employees, everybody understand that in this world, there is a choice to be made. And this is why choosing us is is valuable helping someone make a choice. There's lots more money in it. There's lots more growth in it. There's lots more status in it. There's a lot more stability and there's lots more something in it. The choice is, do you want to work at a place that's fast or slow? Do you want to work at a place that's crazy or do you want to work at a place that's safe? Do you want, what is the choice you are offering? And go back to pharmaceuticals. You're not actually mentioning a choice. You're simply saying, these are the things that are true about our, all pharmaceutical companies and so do we. I know that's not a sentence that was on purpose. That's not an employer brand, or at least that's not a good employer brand. It's certainly not a strong employer brand. Is it an employer brand? Well, if we take the definition of this is how people use it as an employer brand, that must be an employer brand. Then yes, people use stuff like that all the time. And I I apologize if I'm kicking on pharmaceuticals. I, I just know you a little too much to know that that's kind of how that works. I also know it works in other places. So many tech startups look exactly the same as every other tech startup. I feel like I've told this story too, where I did an audit and I found a company in Austin where their entire employer brand could have been simply described as we're a startup and there's cold brew. I mean, there's literally nothing else they were talking about. And frankly, in a startup in Austin, yeah, there's cold brew. <laughs> Almost certainly, right? That's just, what? That's not, I mean, yes, it's true. Again, it's true. It's just not differentiating. Now, Having come to that point in the podcast where you realize, okay, he's got a point and he just needs to kind of define it. Here we are. Yes, it has to be true. Yes, your employer brand has to describe you on some certain level. You cannot be the Red Cross and talking about all the amazing digital technologies that you are going to innovate because that's, while kind of sort of true, it's really not. Compared to other tech companies, your Red Cross is great, not really you know killing it in the digital space. It's not where their wheelhouse is. That's not where they're spending their money. It's not where they're trying. They're there to get the blood out of people and stick it in bags and hand it to people who need it. That was an oversimplification and yet somehow accurate. It's not about being wrong. It's not about being disingenuous. It's simply saying, okay, there is what's obviously true, but let's get beyond that. Again, the car with four wheels and an engine. So if the car, your car has a four, has four wheels and an engine, 
What else does it have? And then you get into a battle of features. It has the air conditioner, has the radio, it has power windows. It can go zero to 60 in an hour and a half. It can do da, 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 da. It's a feature list. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of employer brands end up becoming because they can't get past the four wheels in an engine because they're terrified of trying to say something that people might not like. And that's the big fear, right? They go to features. Hey, we have beer. We have coffee. We have cold brew. We have flexible hours. We have... And how many companies offer world-class medical benefits? Like 70, 80% of them? And how many of those actually offer something resembling something called world-class healthcare benefits, medical benefits? Uh, almost none. Simply that. Okay, just no. Very. Few. I've, I've worked at a lot of companies and only one would I say, okay, that's what world-class health, health insurance looks like. Got it. It is not everywhere. And I know a lot of people claim it. But they claim a lot of things. They claim... Uh, um, Gosh, commitment to gender diversity, commitment to women, commitment to family, commitment to, uh, you know, ethnicity diversity, ethnic, ethnographic diversity. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, they, their commitment to sexuality diversity, their commitment to, um, best answer wins, right? These are, these are things they make these claims about, but you're like, yeah, okay, I guess. What's beyond these things? What are beyond the four wheels and engine? What makes you special? What makes you unique? Help me make a choice. If the choice is between car A, which has four wheels and an engine and a pedal that makes the car go, and car B, which has four wheels and an engine and a pedal which makes the car go, how am I making this choice? And fr frankly, if you're actually choosing one, I don't understand that all. Okay, maybe you make a car and you need a car and you flip a coin and you get it. Okay, maybe. And that's where the problem is. We stop there when we think about our employer brand. We think about what is true and we don't get to the part of what's beyond true. Not that that's not true, but it's what's specifically us. If you're talking about a pharmaceutical companies and you're all, you know, yes, innovation, purpose, that is how a pharma company works. No one makes a pharma company saying we're not going to change anything because you can't make any money. Thus, it's not a company. Therefore, there's no employer brand to worry about. Right? So that's table stakes for a pharmaceutical brand. We're going to change the world. We're going to change. We're going to invent a drug. We're going to in invent a, a thing and it's going to make, it's going to save some lives or make some lives better. That is the remit of all pharmaceutical companies everywhere. What do you offer beyond that? And I don't mean features. I mean, what do you offer from a proposition of value? You're going to learn a lot. You're going to grow a lot. You're going to, you know, it's, it's a place where you can feel safe. You can bring your whole person to work. You can, um, you're going to get the prestige thing. Whatever the thing is, that is where your employer brand really lives. And the problem is, is when we start to wander into those spaces, we start to scare people off. If I'm in the market for a car and I have two cars and they're both four wheels, engine, pedal, go, they're safe. I can't technically go wrong, even though you and I both know one of them is going to be a lemon. If I say, here is a car and it's got four wheels and a pedal and it's reliable as heck, but over here, there's a car, it's got four wheels and engine, but when you touch the engine, the engine just goes cherry red with how hard it, 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 it revs and it will go zero to 60 in an, in an eye blink. You're like, whoa, that's cool. Except someone also said, whoa, that's too much car for me, right? You've not only attracted some people, you've pushed other people away, right? There's a whole book on give and get, you know, right? Charlotte and, and, and Brian wrote this. It's simply that your employer brand is supposed to attract as much as it repels. But in so asking your brand to repel people, that is where people get all antsy and freaked out.
because the concept of telling us of selling up a brand of putting forth features or propositions or value propositions that not everybody will like that are not universally desirable is scary now here's what i think you should take away from this idea besides the obvious like i said brian charlotte wrote this book go read the book it's a good book they get deep into this stuff but I think there needs to be a moment. I think this is the moment we should all be striving for. The moment in which you do all your good work, your due diligence, your quantitative, your qualitative research, you've done the focus groups, you've done the workshops, you've done whatever your particular process is, and you've built an EVP, and you've built a brand. And whether it's a brand position or a brand promise or a brand statement or an EVP with pillars in the architecture and everybody's mileage will vary, you pick it. I don't care. This is not what this is about. But there's a moment in which you take that thing, which has, by the way, been mostly in your head for a very, very long time, and you write it down in whatever capacity you need to write it down. Use a keyboard. I don't care. And you write it down and you show it to someone who works at that company. And you ask them, does this sound like you? Now, there's a moment in which somebody goes, huh, yeah, I guess that's true. I guess I didn't realize that's what I valued. I've just learned something about myself. I've learned that that is why I'm here. I've learned that. And, and it's not a, oh, hey, I didn't realize I was here for the money. I didn't think that. No, because unless, you know, again, I'm making stuff up here, but you, the reason why people work here, they should, it should be a realization that was always there, but they never really kind of put their finger on it. Oh yeah, I am here because I get the chance to work on amazing things. Oh yeah, I am here because I'm surrounded by people who want to push me to do my very best. Oh yeah, I want to be here because of the security, because of the flexibility, because of the, whatever that thing is. If you do it right, there should be a level of almost shock that the, 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 the employee, and this is where you test it, right? Is this who we are? There's a level of moment of shock when the employee realizes, yeah, that is why I do what I do. I think I've told this story a very long time ago, but this is absolutely a good time to retell it because it's been a while. So when I first did Enneagram, and for those of you who know me, you know I love a personality test. I find them fascinating, hilarious, and in equal measure. I've done the Enneagram. I've done them all, I think, at this point. But the Enneagram was the one that really hit me because when they described what I was, it was, I literally had the moment of who exactly is staring at me right now? Who is watching me? Because this is so descriptive of who I am and how I respond to things. It was almost creepy. I was shocked by how accurate it was describing me. That is what I think the ultimate, this is how we know we have an EVP that, that works. That's the litmus test. That's what you strive for. Making something that is so true, but not prima facie true, something they haven't seen every day, something, you know, you know like Facebook all talks about, you know, move fast and break things. There was a time before which they started move fast and break things in which they moved fast and they broke things, but they never said move fast and break things. Somebody said, yeah, we're the kind of company where we like to move fast and break things. And people kind of looked at each other and went, yeah, that is kind of what it's like to work here. Yeah. And that is magical. 
That is something that goes so far away from playing it safe, something where you're looking for resonance and recognition in an employee to say, yes, that's who we are. Because when you then take that idea and rotate it 180 and point it out to the rest of the world, you can say, yeah, this is who we are. And it will matter. It will be different. It'll be unusual. Because if you build and dive in and scrape past the obvious into something that's true, you're going to avoid the blandness. You're going to avoid the sea of sameness. You're going to avoid the me-tooization and the non-Ronan uh, Farrow version of me too. The, you know, yeah, me too, same here kind of thing. That's what you're looking to avoid. And that's what you're looking to find. Think of that level of shock, that level of recognition when people start to realize, yeah, that is why I'm here, right? And let's take it the other way. You've ever been to therapy and your therapist finally gets you to realize that thing that's you, that's been right there in front of your face that you like either refuse to notice or have like, you know, uh, subconsciously looked to avoid not seeing or recognizing. And you kind of go, you get face to face with it. You go like, Oh, right. I'm that. I do that thing a lot. Oh yeah. It's the moment of, Oh yeah, I've learned something about myself and it's magical. It's scary, but it's magical. And like I said, I think that's really what good employer branding should be striving for. Is it hard? Oh, good Lord. Yes, that's hard to do. That's hard to get. You need so much uh, buy-in from leadership. You have need so much commitment from everybody that uh, they're willing to take a chance. And that is so rare to come by, especially when you're sitting and recruiting an HR, a place where risk is synonymous, is a four-letter word. Right? That's not a place where you're expected to shock people and surprise people. Marketing can surprise and shock people, but it does it in a different way and it doesn't happen very often, right? They're there to just kind of draw attention and get you in and get you moving through the funnel. This is something that doesn't happen in a lot of other kinds of marketing. The shock of recognition of self. And that is what amazing employer brand comes from. That is what you should be striving for. All right. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. I appreciate it. Uh, as always, leave a review, uh, buy a book, buy two. Heck, I got three, buy three. Otherwise, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you should. You know, it's linked in the show notes, uh, open office hours, all that good stuff. Thank you all so much for listening and I'll see you next week. Bye. This has been an episode of the Talent Cast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you'd like to get in touch with me, a couple of ways to do that. Obviously, there's Twitter at The War for Talent. You can go to the podcast website at thetalentcast.com. If you'd like to stay up to date on the news of this industry and what's going on, just go to employerbrand.news and sign up for the email newsletter with lots of news and links to other places. If you just want to connect with me on LinkedIn and just say hello or let's just talk, that's linkedin.com slash in slash The War for Talent. Or I bet if you just search for James Ellis, I'd pop up pretty quick. Otherwise, if you have any questions, concerns, considerations, ideas for podcasts, holler at me. Let me know what's going on. Thank you if you've shared it. Please share if you haven't. Rate us, review us. I love all that stuff. It really does help kind of keep the message going and get the message out there. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next week. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, 
as well as host Veronica Dudo for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.